Mrs. Moxie, you're wanted in the studio, please. I'll be right there, darling. Yes, Queen Go, Queen, dip it like a dairy queen. Put your inhibitions in a big U haul. Goodwill Gucci, where my Chattahoochee's out in the country, honey, y'all means all. And welcome to Out in the Open with Mrs. Moxie, your monthly check-in with Northfield's own and favorite drag queen, Mrs. Moxie. Hi, Hi Rich. Hi, Mrs. Moxie. Hi, how are you? I'm good. Good. Long time no see. I know. It, I know. it actually is, has been. <laughs> it has. <laughs> it's it been has. a couple of weeks, man. Uh, uh, ma'am. It's uh, all good. <laughs> um, how's the holidays been for you? Busy. Yeah. It has been crazy. It's been a whirlwind, but it's been all good things. You all wanna, good stuff. You want to give us a, a, a little update on your uh, your triumphant presentation at the uh, Northfield Arts Guild last week? The Christmas at the uh, at, at Christmas Christmas at the something Sunshine Diner. No, was it Rainbow Diner? Rainbow Diner. <laughs> of course, yeah. You're yeah. good. Yes, uh, it was an awesome show. It was two nights full of laughter. Um, two completely different shows. Like I, I think I told you in a text yeah. was, you know, we had a script and that script went right out the window. We broke character. <laughs> it was like SNL live. Maya Rudolph breaking character. Carol Burnett show, man. Yes, that's what oh, made the Carol absolutely. Burnett show so great. I love yeah. Lucy. All yeah. of those. Oh, when yeah. you see them, just cracking right. <laughs> so it was awesome it was um pretty much almost a sold out sh- weekend like, really yeah so Fantastic. i think they came under i think only 10 seats weren't sold all weekend see and and had i actually been in town i, I i'd have bought all 10 of those seats right exactly <laughs> but there is going to be a chance that me and you will have to sit down in our pjs and we'll watch I, it because i, I did get this, it recorded I, love this idea. I think i think annie and i are going to have to invite you and ryan up to our cabin and, and we're just going to have to like take a a, a, a little retreat weekend and, and and i'm down you can show us the the video yes It'll i'm down it will be awesome yeah we so that's one nice thing is i have uh a group behind us that really believes in what we do yeah um it's a husband or not a husband good lord father daughter duo um it's john and megan they are sound and video people and yeah. they do awesome that's fantastic and they won't miss it actually john's coming down for an event in february that we'll talk later on. oh we are so. yeah we are i'm very excited about that event in february yes too. uh before we uh we get too deep though we we always like to start the uh the show with a song and this month you have selected something by a woman named kelsey ballerini yes so um today's episode is all about sobriety mm-hmm. and The first song that we're going to talk about is um, I Quit Drinking by Kelsey Ballerini. Um, It's technically a duet when you listen to it. But for me, when I listen to it, I listen to it as in like an inner monologue, like you're talking to yourself. Like you're the reason why there's no whiskey around. You're the reason why. And it just reaffirms that kind of you can control your life by analyzing, you know, and... The reason why I chose her also is she is mainstream. Mm-hmm. She's very popular in country, mm-hmm. but she is also not afraid to stand up to the haters. Yeah, She recently, within the last year, did a award show, and she was the host, and she actually brought out drag queens during the Tennessee ban. I love that. Yeah. Uh, so during the Tennessee ban that where there all this controversy of you can't have them, you can't do this, it's a, all that stuff. She was like, no, screw you. Yeah. We're bringing them out. So she brought a bunch out and it was a huge hit. 
that needs to happen. I, I know that Lizzo did something like that too in, in yes. Tennessee. That needs to happen, in my opinion. Like every major concert that goes through mm-hmm. Nashville and Memphis and anywhere else too. I mean, just the, the, the national acts have to fly in the face of that ridiculous law. It's just, yeah. but that's just that's just my opinion. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I mean, this is totally a little tangent, but you know, Reba McIntyre brought a drag queen on tour back in the nineties. Mm-hmm. It was a famous drag queen who impersonated Reba, and oh. that drag queen opened up her concerts for a awesome. long time. So it's like this isn't new. It's you're making it new because you are afraid. Right. It's the fear. Right. Whereas now it's like, no, it's been around. Deal with it. Yeah. We're going to keep pushing. So yeah. good. Yeah. Good. All right. Well, I, I, I suggested this to you earlier. We should, it's your show. You do whatever you want. <laughs> I would, I, I would think we should talk about that in more in depth than one show. One of these days though. I think we should do that. And I think I might have the perfect person to talk to. Fantastic. About that. So, all right. So should we uh, listen to uh, I Quit yeah. Drinking? All right. So this is, how how old is this song? Do you know? Ooh. Um, okay. Three? Three, four, spot. I want right. to say. So from like in the last three or four years. Yeah. This is, and the name of the, it's a duet. It's Kelsey Ballerini and, and Lanny. Lanny, I think yeah. is how you say it. Yeah. Okay. okay. Kelsey Ballerini and Lanny with I Quit Drinking on Out in the Open with Mrs. Moxie. We used to be the life of the party, body to body, dance the night away, shoot tequila straight, obsessed with each other, and down for another round until last call, wasn't alcohol keeping us up till the sun came around, thought we'd stay drunk forever, but now. Friends know I don't go downtown. You're the reason I. 
Kelsey Ballerini with and Lanny with uh, I Quit Drinking. Um, that's a nice song. Yeah. I like that song. Yeah, it's catchy. Yeah, it's, it is. It is. It's, but it, 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 it's a message that um, isn't necessarily supposed to re, re, uh, reverberate with everybody. Right. I would think it's a pretty powerful thing. It is. And I think um, in general with sobriety, there's so many songs that you can connect to that even aren't even about drinking. Mm-hmm. It's just about self-acceptance or anything like that. Mm-hmm. But that one... For some reason, because like through sobriety, I went on a lot of drives because it was in the middle of COVID. Yeah. June 16th. I remember the day it was like, I'm done. What year? Um, So it'll be four years this June. Okay. So yep. 2020, June yep. 16th, 2020. Yep. All right. And I remember it very well. I got done with therapy and everything and I, I, I was doing a lot of drag virtually raising money for charities and things like that because mm-hmm. it was COVID and I had nothing else to do. Mm-hmm. And um, I just stopped cold turkey, and that's how I did it. And that's one thing about sobriety. Some people go to meetings. They have support groups. And we're going to touch base on all that today. But mm-hmm. my journey is my journey, and that's that song helped me through that journey. That's awesome. So That's awesome. You want to uh, introduce our special guest? Yeah. All right. So... Well, we have um, a wonderful guest here who is actually Norfield um, own real estate agent. We have Chris Kaka <laughs> Chris Hetches Henches Henches. Thank you. I can never say it right. Thank you. <laughs> Perfect. So this is Chris. Hello. Chris is a friend of mine. Also comes to the salon and gets hair done, and a big cheer supporter for um, the drag scene and just the queer community here in Northfield as well. So finding homes for every happy couple if you ever need to get in touch. There you go. You know, I just want to I, I want to register a complaint right right out of the bat. I've got like a half dozen friends in town, you and Greg included, uh, who are realtors. Mm-hmm. And I've have use for realtors from time to time, and I probably will again. And not, what do I do? You're my friend, and Greg's my friend. Uh, this other woman's my friend. This other guy's my friend. This other woman's my like another guy. Like, what do I do? How do I? I I, I would like to. I I, I want to use my friends when I need a realtor, but I don't want to insult my friends when I need a realtor. I, do you? Do, do people like? Has anyone ever said this to you? Like, what do I do here? Oh, absolutely. I had that with <laughs> with family. Yeah, oh, sure. You know, it's yeah. like at the end of the day, I think that when you're looking for a real estate agent, you pick who's going to work best for you who you're going to have that relationship with. Sure. Cause this is not about buying a house. This is about changing your life, you know, moving into something that's going to be, you know, fitting for you and your family, mm-hmm. um, whatever that family dynamic may be. At the end of the day, it's like, <clears throat> you know, Greg and I will talk about that. It's, they may pick a different agent, cheerlead them, you know, support that other agent. You know, we're in a small town and it's, mm-hmm. we do, you know, when we've had that scenario, it's like they went with a different agent. Do you, do, are your feelings hurt a little bit? Yeah. But at the end of the day, they made that decision on based on their needs. And we've had, you know, people that have said, well, this person's a dear, dear friend of mine, but we're going to use you guys. And it's like, okay, can we ask why? And they give you the reasons mm-hmm. why. And you go with it. You know, I think in a professional level, if a person is upset that in a small town that they went with a different agent. That's not necessarily, how do I say this? 
as a buyer or seller, you need to work with who you feel is going to be the best fit for you. Mm-hmm. And if you have 10 friends that are all agents and you pick one of those 10 friends, okay. you know, it used to be my theory too. It's like when I owned a salon, we'll get into that later. <laughs> Something we I have in to, common. <laughs> I used to say to my clients, it's like, you know, I may not be the best fit for you, mm-hmm. but I want you to stay in the salon. Yeah. Well, there I it want is. you to stay here. You know, I will support you. Well, okay, so, and I know I'm not alone, so all you people out there in Northfield, don't don't feel bad for about stepping on someone's toes. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, and I want to touch base on that, because Ryan did real estate for a while, too, Uh my husband, and um, it was the same thing, like, family, when you talked about family, some family doesn't want, don't want to use you. One, because they don't want you to know their money situation. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a huge thing because mm-hmm. I, I, I heard you say family, and it's like that one hurts more than friends, I feel, yeah. when your family won't use you. Well, and also, you know, I love my family, but they also want you to do it for free. Correct. Oh, yeah. And yes. it's like, you know, I used to have to explain They want this. the deals. <laughs> they want the deals. I mean, I have, I'm in my family. I have a brother that's been in real estate for 45 years and mm-hmm. a sister that's been in it for 30 years, and they want you to to do yeah. it for, for free yeah, because it's family. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I have some brothers, I have a brother now that he's always asking for information. I've owe this and I've heard this and I've done that. And it's like, well, we, we can talk if you're serious. Yeah. Right. But, and the other thing with family is, yeah, it's hard, but ultimately maybe it's for the best. Yeah. Maybe it's for the best that you don't work with family. Cause that's how I feel in general, like in workforce, I've worked with family. I've worked with my mom at a restaurant and it was fun. But there was times where we probably would have murdered each other. I worked for my, uh, for my dad for 10 years in sales and, mm-hmm. and I, it was, uh, we were great after we were done working together, but, but during those 10 years, yep. it was awful. Correct. Yeah. We were just at each other and, and we'd be talking business on Christmas. You know, well, I think it, also, it, that's also too, with it when it comes to real estate, it can be, you know, whether it's friends or family and the financial part is when you are in a small community, you know, that person, your friend also doesn't want you to really know their finances. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's getting that understanding saying, we don't know your finances. <laughs> your lender does. I don't want, we I just don't have want, what you We just help you spend. write the paper. <laughs> yeah. I don't want anybody to know my money situation. Right, right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But. Thank you for coming out to the show. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Yeah, it's we're not be fun. we're not here to talk about real estate. We're not, no, but that was no, a nice no. little plug, <laughs> right? Right. Um, so we're here to talk about sobriety, and me and you before we got into the studio here today, we've talked about sobriety for a while now. Oh, yeah, I, yeah. I want to say when we first met. Let's see, was that the gospel show? It was the gospel yeah, show, and yeah. that's when we talked about it. Was right after the gospel show about sobriety. Because during that show, I talked a little bit about yes, it. Yes, you did, yeah. And um, that's when we started bonding. And like you said, you know, your friendships, you connect with people because of where you're at in life. Mm-hmm. And I think having somebody who's been through sobriety as a friend mm-hmm. is a huge bonus in my book right oh, now. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm, my husband doesn't drink that much anymore, mm-hmm. but he he still does. And I'm the only one in my family that's sober. Mm-hmm. So it's to feel alone, but now I have a friend that I can talk right, to about those right. struggles. I think that's been a huge blessing in my life. So thank you for being a friend oh, and talking you. to me thank about you. that. So, um, but let's discuss a little bit about, we talked about your real estate, <laughs> but let's talk about your backstory. Like, where did you grow up? I grew up in Minnesota. 
And <clears throat> when I graduated from high school, I knew I wanted to go out into the world. Um, I used to train horses as a kid, rode horses, and then I was um, at a competition in Louisville right out of, you know, the summer of my senior year. I mean, after I graduated, and I was offered a job on the West Coast. And, you know, I was not out to my family, and I thought, ooh, California, ooh, horses. I'm not going to college. Mm-hmm. Sweet. Get in the car with my dog, and I drove cross country. And then the, my whole world opened up as far as my identity and my sexuality. And I got into training horses, and now I'm lost at what I'm supposed to say next. <laughs> no, you're good. Uh, so that's another thing we have in common, and I didn't really know about that because I grew up with horses too. Mm-hmm. So that's very cool. Yeah. So in your intro, you talked a little bit about the salon. When did the salon life come into play? The salon, well, I had an accident with one of the horses um, in my early 20s, and a doctor at that time said you have to be very, very careful because if you, you know, I broke my back, my L1 and L2, and so I had to take a summer off, and I was thinking, okay, what do I do? And they said, if you have another accident, you might, you know, might not walk, um, or you might have to have surgery. Um, and I thought, oh, shit. So I thought, well, I was trying to reinvent myself. Oops. No, you're going <laughs> to I'm trying to reinvent myself. Yep. Yeah. Note. <laughs> I have to reinvent myself. And I thought, huh, hair. I've always been kind of intrigued about the hair industry. So... At the age of 24 years old, I went to beauty school. And I thought, huh. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. And it was a 28-year career. Awesome. I know. So, That's awesome. I mean, it had some amazing ups and downs. I mean, amazing ups and some downs, you know, with as the hair industry, as you yep. know. Um, you're a therapist. You're a, you know, you're yep. a doctor. You're a cab. You're a, you know, yep. entertainer. You know. We actually talked about this at the salon not too long ago. I remember it's not about how you do hair. The clients come back because of who you are. Oh yeah, yeah. It's more about the relationship. I will absolutely like. I've had I had for like a period of like seven years. I had a bad haircut just because I liked the person who cut my hair. Mm-hmm. So uh-huh. That's yeah. Yeah, there was a poll in Modern Salon. This was years ago, and I had a staff meeting with my stylist saying they polled a hundred people across the country of what was the top five reasons they went to the salon that they went to? And the fact that you gave a good haircut was three. Yep. <laughs> One was because they liked the person. You're a decent yep. person. What was number two? Do you remember number Location. Two? Location. Okay. And it's like if you had, and it was that open the doors, am I going to spend money or am I going to get a deal? Yep. <laughs> wow. That's, that's a whole nother subject that we I know, can talk right? about. Right. <laughs> but so now that was your journey. When what, did sobriety come in for you? Sobriety came in in my 40s, you know, in my 57. Um, <laughs> Forever 29. It was, you know, living in, in the wine country and trying to, I think it was one of those things that as my career as a hairdresser got bigger and bigger and bigger, so did my clientele, so did the type of clientele that I was doing. Um, and I always felt not good enough, even though I thought I was talented and I did a really good job, had a huge clientele. But when you have a client that could literally buy the town that you're living in and you're going yep. to these events and you're trying to keep up with the Joneses for a lack of better terms. And it was like, I got that confidence of, you know, the martini, the the cocktail. And it's like, and schmoozing and rubbing elbows with people that are a big deal in the Bay Area. Yep. And <clears throat> that's where I think that I never knew that it was getting out of control until it was out of control to where it started to control me, where it's like when you start putting the pumping the brakes saying, 
I'm not going to drink this weekend or I'm not going to drink tonight. But then you do. Mm-hmm. Um, I come from a line of, you know, seasoned alcoholics. I mean, my father's side of the family, mm-hmm. um, a lot of mental health, a lot of um, addiction, alcohol addiction. Yeah. So in my early 20s, I really, it's like I was the, I'll have one beer and then I'm done. Because okay. I was so afraid that I was going to go down the path that my dad went down. Yeah. And then it happened. And then, you know, that whole, the blame game and what happened and it's your fault and the, the, it's not my fault. It's everybody else's fault. It's the world's fault. It's the, my job fault. It's X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Not taking responsibility or trying to take control, you know, get my life back. Because I was trying to get my life back and control my life, but I couldn't. Because the alcohol in my, you know, in my 40s started to really take over. And I thought, okay, well, let's just, let's try treatment because people are getting concerned. Let's try treatment. Went through my first of many. And it's like, okay, I got this. Well, I can start drinking again. Or I'll just have a little, you know, I'll just toke a little of this or I'll pop that pill and, and then I'll be fine. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll control it. Yeah. You can't. You can't. You can't. No. No. So that was in your <laughs> 40. <laughs> yeah. Um, my question is now I know Greg, your partner, mm-hmm. your husband with him. Was he in the picture when you started sobriety? No, he was not. Mm-mm. Okay. If you heard a cop, that was him. <laughs> um, but here's the thing with mine and Mr. Moxie's I started sobriety with him. Mm-hmm. So how was the journey being alone when you didn't have a significant other to be there? Like how, what was your process in the sobriety journey as far as like recovery and like you talked about going to meetings and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I mean just a little, can I do a little bit yeah, of a back? Go, go uh, for it. Go for it. It life events happened when I lived in the California, I lived there right out of high school up until I came back to Minnesota, lived with my parents, went into treatment, failed, not failed. I thought I had it. Um, went and lived with a family member, started drinking again because I wasn't taking care of the mental health. I wasn't taking care of the issues that got me to where I was at. So <clears throat> when I got into sobriety and there were some people that made some very, very, uh, gave me some very wise advice. It's like, don't get, don't get sober for your mom, your dad, your ex or whoever the case may be. You need to do this for you. Mm-hmm. Um, because otherwise you will never, You'll never stay sober. And also dealing with the mental health, doing the therapy, um, getting a sponsor, doing all those things in early mm-hmm. recovery. And as far as like relationships, I was just like, no. I didn't know who I was because so much of my adult life was behind a, a cocktail. Mm-hmm. So who I was perceived, I mean, who I, I think that you lie so much about who you are, what you think or how you're feeling that you don't know who you are. So for the first five years, I had to, you know, as they say, you, when you sit in your own, you're going to eventually smell like, so it's either get out of that mm-hmm. and reevaluate, refocus of who you really are. You know, you're not the superstar hairdresser. You're not this rock star community member. Those are what you want people to think you are. Mm-hmm. Whereas at the end of the day, I came to the realization, it's like, I'm just, I'm a kid from Minnesota that grew up on a hobby farm with addiction in my family, a mother that, you know, was on her own with three jobs, trying to still raise three kids. 
and it was that shame and that embarrassment that I never shared with people when I was out there, limited, you know, so you could be something that you really aren't. And when I got through that in the first three, four, five years of sobriety, I started to go on a couple dates and I'm like, yeah, no, 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 because I wasn't ready. And I thought, well, you know, and by chance, you know, go on a date mm-hmm. and lo and behold, here we are just celebrating our five year anniversary. That's awesome. I know. That's awesome. And it, it's just, I think that, you know, when <clears throat> people say <clears throat> when you least expect it, something will happen, mm-hmm. whether it's a relationship, whether Isn't that it's funny when they say that, because yeah, you're like, and, Oh, I never uh, believed that yeah, you're no. so full of it. I know. Right. <laughs> it's like, let's do the little wand in the air. Yeah. We'll keep um, Right. But I think but that's true. It is true. And then, so you know, you have, you meet somebody and it's like, oh, you're in recovery too. Oh, you grew up in a, in a little, you know, farm. Oh, you did horses. And in the back of my mind, I'm screaming, I'm going to mess this up. I'm going to mess this up because yep. that's always been my MO. Yep. But I just live life on life's terms and try to be as honest as I, as I can be. Um, am I perfect? No. I mean. We got, you know, Greg sitting over there. <laughs> Bless his heart. Yep. <laughs> oh, Greg. <laughs> I know. It's like we bought new phones yesterday, and they're going to come on Tuesday. And I know he's just dreading it because I'm going to have meltdowns over. I'm not good with change, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> <laughs> it's needed. But anyways, I'm getting yes. off topic. But that's – so when you began, began your sobriety journey and everything like that, was there um, a pivotal moment where it was just like, okay – I got it. Because you talked about you had it, you thought you had it, mm-hmm. and you had to start back over. When did it finally click that, like, or maybe it's still that journey? I don't well, know. Well, you know, some days it is, it's still, some days it is a journey. It it was one of those things that when I was just told that, you know, you have to get let go. Mm-hmm. You know, what are you holding on to that you cannot stay sober? You know, are you, what are you willing to do? Are you willing to go to the meetings? Are you willing to get a sponsor? Are you willing to go see a therapist? When you stop saying no, or you'll do everything but, you know, and in, the, in my early sobriety, I was very, very into AA and the 12 steps and um, Bill W. and Bob Wilson and everything that the big book. And I, I literally, <clears throat> my last treatment, I was given a big book <clears throat> And I got, I was so thin. I was like emaciated, 135 pounds. And I was eating Skittles, you know, laying in bed in the treatment center. And I am crying. Like, how come I can't get this? So I just started reading and I'm eating Skittles and eating Skittles and and, uh, not understanding what the whole sugar thing was until one of the nurses told me why I was, you know, craving sugar because of the alcohol withdrawals. Um, and it was in the big book, you know, I started reading things going, I can relate to that. I, I think I can do it today. And then it's like, I'm going to stay sober for today. Mm-hmm. You know, the first couple of years, I mean, the first year in particular, it's like today I'm going to stay sober. I'll see what happens tomorrow. Kind of like a day by day process. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then tomorrow came, it's like, huh, I'm going to do it again. I might drink tomorrow. I might use tomorrow. I don't know. But for today, I'm going to stay sober. And that, that was really the way, what it was in the beginning. Now, coming up on 10 years, I don't think about it as much. I mean, you and I shared earlier about that. You know, it's like every once in a while, I'm like, oh, gosh, that would be so nice. But I'm like, even 10 years later, you know what it was like, and I'm not willing to risk that right. because my life is so much better now. 
Well, and earlier we talked a little bit about you do have a part-time job Mm -hmm. at a restaurant Mm -hmm. bar. I think that's a really interesting aspect because yesterday I did, um, I bartended for a Christmas party and that was the first time since I became sober. Mm -hmm. And for me, it, it, like you said, it's like, oh, I would just like to try it again Mm -hmm. or one of those things. And that happened to me and I want to touch base on like, because you work in the field of mm-hmm. the restaurant and bar, you have you had those moments? I have, you know, and it, it not so much that I wanted to like taste the margarita or taste the new, because there's so many new flavors now since I've gotten sober. I'm like, holy crap! I just thought yeah. it was only one or three different flavors of vodka, not 25. Yeah, they're um, overrated. Don't worry about you it. You know, <laughs> but it's like it's on that hot day, mm-hmm. or like when you've had a stressful day, or somebody kind of irritated you, and it's like, and you would rather just have a drink to like <sighs> or the holidays or the holidays the holidays are huge for me right mm-hmm. now like it's like oh family no. and this and that no. it's like there's too much going on and it's like oh i could just go for a mimosa but no. then i look at it and i'm like nope can't yeah do it. i i need to interject yeah, myself yeah. in the conversation here because um mox no one's going to ask you this question i think if mm-hmm. i if i don't tell us about your sobriety totally fine with that your uh, your moment of uh mine was definitely different from chris yeah. um we both kind of have the same background farm family mm-hmm. you know addictive personality etc like the list goes on but my sobriety started in the middle of covid mm-hmm. um i worked in restaurants for a long time that was another reason why i want to talk about that mm-hmm. because i worked in restaurants since 15 and when covid happened I was at a restaurant and me and Mr. Moxie started hanging out at home and I was drinking. It would be like noon. I'd be like, well, we're not going to work, so we might as well just chill. And then it became to the point where I was, I went to, um, a Reiki shaman lady. Um, and I went to her quite some time and I learned a lot about myself in that sense because it, it really got you in tune with your chakras and Mm -hmm. your inner peace. And she, she said something to me and, that part I'm going to keep to myself because that's been very private when she said that to me. Um, but when she, what she said hit me so hard that I literally drove home from Wisconsin because I went to Wisconsin to see her. And I sat down, got in a full face of makeup because Moxie was going crazy during COVID because that was the only thing that kept me sane was dressing up and hosting um, charitable charitable events for donations and things like that. And... I remember recording the video. It was June 16th, 2020, and I filmed it, and I said, I'm going on vacation. I'm going on a break, and I stopped doing drag for, I think it was like three or four months, something like that. It was quite some time, and the only thing that really got me through all that was music and being with my husband, having the support like you Mm -hmm. talk about. Mm -hmm. Mine, I was married at the time, or am married at the time that I started this journey of sobriety and he was nothing but supportive. And I can already tell Greg behind us is one of your biggest cheerleaders. Oh yeah. You cheer him on. Like that's part of the relationship Mm -hmm. right now Mm -hmm. in our world. And with my sobriety, it's, it took a good six to eight months. Like you said, Mm -hmm. you know, like you didn't want to talk to people. You just, it was almost like you were numb. Mm -hmm. And for that time frame, I would, I, I would literally look at my husband. I'm like, I need to leave. I need, I, I, I can't be around anybody right now. And I would jump in my vehicle and I would just go. Mm-hmm. And 
I would be gone for 20 minutes. I would be gone for six hours. Mm -hmm. Like he didn't know. And I wouldn't answer my phone. I wouldn't do nothing. Like I off grid, you could say. Yeah. And that was the only thing that kind of like gave me that piece of like clarity. Like, Mm -hmm. okay, you're sitting with your emotions, you're sitting with your thoughts and you work through it. And then after I finally got a handle on that, then I reached out and I started therapy. Mm -hmm. So, and therapy is one of the, best things in the world oh, i yeah. cannot talk about that enough and i used to be not against it but i was like i don't need it i'm fine like you think you're the bigger person you're like i don't need it i'm fine i got this no you don't <laughs> <laughs> you need to talk to somebody well and i also think that you know and this is just from my past experience i think a lot of times and especially my generation the therapy is like there's an embarrassment of what will other people think Bingo. What will the parents think? Because, you know, you have that picture on, you know, that's above the mantle of, you know, the six kids all in matching sweaters and they all look beautiful mm-hmm. and happy. And and you got the mom and dad in the background smiling, but there's just a lot of crap going on, yep. you know, in that picture because you're painting a picture that night might not be reality. Yes. And even, you know, when my mother was still alive and I would talk about therapy, she would, she was supportive. Mm-hmm. But then she had to think about, you know, then you bring up stuff about your childhood and, and her relationship with my father and what she went mm-hmm. through. She didn't want to talk about it. It wasn't like your feelings weren't valid. It was just like, that's a whole different generation. You don't talk mm-hmm. about the stuff like that. And if you bring it up in front of other, you know, of her friends, you know, right. change like, the subject. Change. Think- I mean, I love you. You're, you're different. Your sobriety is different. You know, you, you know, you're not a bad person because then it would just reflect on your loved ones that they did something wrong. Correct. And they you know? didn't. No, they didn't. No. You know, it's like, you know, I think it, it, today, you know, there's times that I'm still very angry with my father, um, mm-hmm. but I forgive him for, you know, things that happened in our, in my childhood because he was also an addiction. And the more I understood about, you know, the grips of addiction, I could forgive him for myself because I didn't want to have resentment towards, you know, mm-hmm. a person that was in addiction. Um, one thing that I want to talk about is when you said they didn't understand with my sobriety, it was kind of like, did you ever have people look at you like, you're really not that big of an alcoholic. Oh yeah. And when I heard that, it's like, you don't know me. Yeah. Like I'm the only one that can tell you how bad it is. And not that I need to air this laundry out, but it was like, you know, it was that baby step of when you started the sobriety, it's like, I'm just going to do it today. Mm-hmm. Just one day at a time. Mm-hmm. But when you're in the trenches and you're going through all the addiction and everything like that, it was for me, it was, I'd reach for it before work, during work, after work, mm-hmm. days off, like mm-hmm. it, to the point where I remember I, I've had a couple interventions from friends and mm-hmm. you know, everything throughout life. And I remember one time, Ryan, he said to me, it was after I became sober, but he said to me, he's like, there was a point where I didn't know what I was going to get. And he's like, when I would roll that recycling bin down to the curb, that solidified the problem that no one saw. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I just, I I have to ask this question because um, as I understand it, and I don't, I, I, I don't know enough about this to, to fill a thimble, right? But as I understand it, someone says to you, you're not, you're not a huge alcoholic. You're not that big of an mm-hmm. alcoholic, right? Addiction is, there aren't degrees of addiction. It's, it's sort of a zero-sum 
binary thing. You either are or you're not, correct? I mean, now some people can function and hide it better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But you're either an addict or you're not. Am I, am I, am I wrong about that? Well, I think it has to, the the person that's in the addiction has to be the one that's going to say whether or not they have yeah, have right. an issue. Yeah. I mean, we can have therapists, we can have counselors, we can have everybody say, you know, filling out these little how many drinks do you have a day? Do you yeah. have, do you come the home? charting of it all? The charting of it all, and you know, there are people that I know that I've known for very, for years that they had a serious problem, but they literally only drank on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they're the ones that only drank right after work. And then they could quit. They could go to work, blah, blah, blah. But they were addicted to that. They had to have that. Mm-hmm. Now, I can only speak for myself was there was, you know, it came to a point, too, that I was terrified because I'd had, you know, close to seizures and I'd been in the emergency room for alcohol poisoning, been hospitalized, you know, for various mm-hmm. reasons. Where I was really, really scared because I, I couldn't not, um, and that, but that was you know my journey. And there are people that can just like you just quit, yeah, and not have an issue. Mm-hmm. I tried, and there are people that do that. There are people that do the big book. There are people that do different types of recovery. Um, I know you and I touched on this earlier about yeah. you know the ones that do um, can still do one substance but not another. Yep. Um, so and again everyone's journey is their journey Mm -hmm. and it's their story to tell and what we're doing today is talking about our journeys and kind of comparing Mm -hmm. to kind of help people who might be out there who do struggle and they don't know where to go from there Mm -hmm. so um yeah it's it's interesting once you actually start really dissecting the past Mm -hmm. and what your trigger points were because i i don't know what aa is like because i've never been like I said, I quit cold turkey, but mm-hmm. you know, there's 12 steps, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, do you know the 12 steps? I'm just curious. I do. Can you tell them? No, oh. I can't remember. Them. Can't remember. <laughs> okay. I, can you give us a few? Do you know a few? Well, I mean, I, I'm powerless over, oh geez. Step one. I mean, seriously, it's been so long. Yeah. What yeah. was, the, you had four words, um, that you were talking about hope. So oh, experience, strength and hope. Yes. Dissect that. Well, experience, experience, strength and hope is, you know, what you, I was asked to speak, you know, this was years ago at the Basilica downtown and, and it's, you know, people that are in, in recovery, people that are in AA cause it was an AA meeting and it's the experience is what happened. You know, your strength is where, what keeps you strong and your hope for the future. And so it's basically, it's telling your story mm-hmm. of what happened, where you're at now and what you hope for the future. I mean, I can, I'm sure there's people are going to be hearing this and Oh, he doesn't know his AA that well. Cause again, you know, I'm being completely honest. It's been a long time yeah. since I've been to a meeting. And when we first moved to Northfield, I we went to a few. And there, so there are one oh, yeah. in our community. Yes, awesome. there is. Awesome there is. There's okay. like quite a few. Cause when we moved from Minneapolis, I was still, I mean, I was working for a, a substance abuse treatment center up in Minneapolis. And so it was important to me that when we came to Northfield that I, stay connected yeah um with that you know i did some virtual because with covid um did some virtual meetings and went to a few here in northfield and and then honestly it's just you know we greg and i have each other and we can talk and we can talk about you know and we can talk about some of the war stories but it's just that that little reminder so that those that are trying to get into recovery and they're still around a lot of of use um, that could be very tough. I mean, it could be very, very tough. So I was fortunate that 
and the first person I became involved with relationship wise was in recovery as well. Okay. And you know, and Greg's recovery is very different than mine. Yep. You know, I'm not going to you know, divulge his personal because that's for him to um, talk about share with yeah. if he ever wanted to. But it, it, we're both in recovery. Our recoveries are very different. How we got into recovery, very different. But they work for both of us individually. Yeah. So and did, did that answer? I'm going back to that answer your question about enough. I mean, okay. It, like, All right. it, it, it's a topic that I mean, there, I don't. What you guys are telling me is that there is no yes or no answer to that mm-hmm. question because it's, yeah. all, it's all it's all in the individual. It is. It, right? it it really depends on the stance of the person yeah. and what they're personally dealing with. Because like like you said, there's people who only drink on the weekends. Mm-hmm. Well, technically, by standard, you know, people would say, "Oh, yeah, you're an alcoholic because you have five drinks every Friday." You know, like. If you're looking at charting wise, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. really it's down to each person and what their mm-hmm. personal experience is. So that, that thing about you're an alcoholic because once you start, you can't stop. That's not necessarily the case. Well, I think that if you, uh, for me, I mean, and I can't say that for sure, but I'm know myself well enough that if I were to go out today and have a glass of wine, I, if the past if the future were anything like the past two weeks, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be gone. You know, I would be gone. I'd either be dead, Mm. um, or I'd be MIA. Um, I just think that with addiction, when you, because there's, there's the chemical, it's your neurotransmitters in your brain that are forever changed. Mm -hmm. You know, addiction, you're, you're an, I'm an alcoholic. And I know that if I were to pick up, a drink today I would go back to the same amount because that tolerance level you don't just like get tolerant to it again mm-hmm. you're trying to catch that high or that buzz or that 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 feeling of fuzziness would never happen right you know because you are an addict and but again it, it the person has to say I'm an alcoholic or I'm an addict All right. I'm going to ask this question I yeah. actually don't know if you guys can answer this or not could someone how do I phrase this? Someone who's not like a blind drunk, mm-hmm. right? Okay, I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you a great example. My dad considered himself to be a recover, recovering alcoholic starting in like the late 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, he would, uh, um, he was a business owner. He would come home from work and he'd have three or four scotch and waters and it, never more than that. Mm-hmm. But he, he and and he, I ne- I don't ever remember my dad being inebriated. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but one day he said, "You know what? I'm going to stop because I'm an alcoholic." And that and that was that. Mm-hmm. I mean, d- d- do you ha- do you have to get to that out of control point, or do you? Uh, is it something everyone defines for themselves? I guess is the question. I. Th- I personally think everyone defines it for mm-hmm. themselves. Yep. Um, I have very close friends who I would never consider alcoholics, mm-hmm. but I have a friend of mine that she, how do I put this? A mother. Mm-hmm. I'm trying not to disclose mm-hmm. too much, but mm-hmm. uh, she's a mom. And there was a time where she let loose on a Friday night and 
she realized the next morning that she couldn't even take care of her kids because she was so hungover. Mm-hmm. And that was like one of the first times she's ever done it in, you know, a couple of years. And she's like, nope, I have a problem. And it's like, that's her story. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm not trying to tell her story, but I'm trying to give context of everybody's addiction is different. Mm-hmm. Ever like your story is completely different than mine. Mm-hmm. We do have a lot of the same backstory and mm-hmm. a lot of the mm-hmm. same hurdles, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. But for me, my spirituality of like zenning and like grounding and really working on like my chakras and everything and really peace of mind, um, solitude by myself is what helps me and my therapy when I go see my therapist. Mm-hmm. Whereas some people out there probably would rather go and talk to an AA meeting or mm-hmm. go go talk to their sponsors and things like that. So again, everybody is different. I don't oh, yeah. know how you feel. Well, that, and it's but. like even when you're talking about, you know, therapist or what during COVID when you quit and you went to be alone, mm-hmm. you know, in your thoughts and driving and listening to music. And I was polar opposite. I couldn't. I couldn't be alone. I couldn't be in my own thoughts because then it was just this guilt, the shame of all this stuff. I needed to talk to somebody. I needed to be mm-hmm. around people. It's like, you know, that last go round, it's like, we want you to not live with family. We want you to stay in Minneapolis. We want you to not work for a year. We wow. want you to go to, you know, three minimum AA meetings a week. Meet wow. with your therapist okay. for a year. I did all of that. So my journey was different. I had to be around that. Yeah. Um, you know, and like, you know, touching base on what Rich just said, you know, there are people that will say, okay, I'm done. Mm-hmm. You know, three drinks a day. I made the decision. I, I need this rather than I would like it. I, right. I need this. And they have that realization. It's like, you know what? This is starting to say that it's starting to control me. There's some people that get into recovery. And they've, you know, I met one kid. It's like, you know, I have 25 years of sobriety. I'm thinking, when did you get sober? Were you 12? I knew a guy who got sober at 12. Yeah. And it's like. Actually 14. And it was hard for me to I believe. similar. It was hard for me to believe. And I wanted like, that's just a load of yeah. crap. But and now I'm saying, I'm saying you know, what you, saying that you didn't have a problem when you were 12 when you did. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's, that's your journey. So yep. mad respect. Oh, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I also think with sobriety comes new relationships. I think that's another thing that we don't really talk about because I've lost a lot of friendships in mm-hmm. sobriety. Oh, yeah. And, you know, with losing friendships or um, relations in general, whether that's an employee or a coworker, or whatever, friends, family, you know, your journey is your journey. And I think you touched base on it a little bit before your journey is to protect yourself. Mm -hmm. Your journey is your story. It's to protect you. It's to really find out who you are and what makes you tick. Mm -hmm. And when you're relearning what makes you tick through sobriety, it almost is like a kaleidoscope. You don't know where it's going to land. You don't know what's going to come. You, you just take each day, as its own mm-hmm. living life on life's terms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. And I've had people and I don't know if you have, and I'm sure you have, let's be real where people look at you and they're like, you're not the same person. Oh yeah. And when I hear that, I'm like, I'm glad. Yeah. I'm glad I'm not that same person. I got called out for saying that to somebody once 
and uh, uh, it, I wasn't talking directly to them. I was talking about them with someone else, and they this other person called me out on it. I will never ever make that mistake. I felt. I mean, when 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 you realize what you're saying, you feel about two inches tall. Yeah. yeah. yeah it, but but it it. It's it, an attitude out it. It, 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 it happens, yeah. And I will say, I think there might be a little bit of difference in that situation when you say you're not the same person. Like, if you can really tell this person is going down into a trench, mm-hmm. like having that conversation, like, you're not the same person and I'm slightly worried about you. Mm-hmm. I think that might be a little bit different. Mm-hmm. But when we're talking about somebody who's benef- like making a better life and making better choices to protect their humanity and their whole soul mm-hmm. i think for you to say oh you're not the same person you're not fun anymore yeah yeah that's you know. a screw you moment well yeah it, 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 like i said i i, I was talking uh, this this person had been through treatment mm-hmm. and they came back i'm like wow they really lost something and mm-hmm. ooh. well you know and i think too it's it's a lot of times people will they're afraid to get into to recovery or they don't want to look about, you know, in the mirror and say, I might have a problem. And there's also that I don't want to lose my friends. I don't want to lose my friends. So I'm going to try to maintain it. Huge thing. It's like, they're still partying. I can party. I just won't party as much or I'll party before I leave and meet up with them. So they can't say you've had too much to drink. If yep. I was that guy, I'd have the, the fifth in the car. I'd run out, make myself a cocktail, go in so much. Cause I knew people were starting to worry about me and I knew people were looking at, and yeah. literally watching how much I was drinking, you know, loved ones, close yeah. friends. How many times I brought coolers to like <laughs> weddings right. or things like that. And you run out to the car to make drinks because you don't want them to see you constantly going to the bar. Yeah. Right. Like, it's a huge, it's, it's a huge secret. Yeah. And, you know, and then moving to Minnesota from, from the West coast, I want to, there was one time that I was like three or four years in into sobriety and a dear friend of mine that I worked with for many, many years. She is a Prince fan, huge Prince fan, fabulous hairdresser mm-hmm. in California as well. She and her husband came to Minnesota to go, you know, uh, tour Paisley park. And I was living in Northeast Minneapolis, still working for the treatment center. And she wanted to, she wanted to meet. And so I agreed to meet with her and I was excited to see her, but I had gone kind of radio silent with Facebook, everything for the first year. People were wondering, is he still alive? What's going on? Cause I didn't communicate only with my family, people that were in recovery in, in Minnesota. So I went to see her and she's getting a tattoo. She gets up and she looks at me and she bursts out crying. I'm like, Oh, I'm, you know, I start crying. We're all excited to see each other. And she looked at me and she goes, I've never seen you in jeans. I've never seen you in tennis shoes and I've never seen you in a t-shirt and I've known you for 20 plus years. I'm like, mm-hmm. And I was like, what? She goes, Christopher, you look so happy. You look so healthy. You look so mm-hmm. comfortable. Crying, crying, crying. And oh. then I looked back at my past going, see, there was, you know, you had the Ferragamo shoes on. You had the Prada belt. You had X, Y, and Z. And that wasn't who you were. And so oh. I was presenting myself. That's who I am. I'm so glad we're segueing into this because that is such a true statement. Such a true statement because I remember when I was drinking and stuff like that and partying with coworkers and going out all the time, I dressed more flamboyant. And mm-hmm. I think we talked about this a little bit rich before yep. I dressed more flamboyant. I carried my satchels. I carried, uh, don't get me wrong. I did today too, but that's a whole different ball game. <laughs> um, but when you start to really take your exterior mm-hmm. 
to make it something prettier or uh-huh. quote unquote things like that or stereo norms in the gay world, I mm-hmm. guess you could say. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I had the rolled up jeans, the, you know, all the, <laughs> all those things. Yep. Um, and you know, having that kind of flamboyantness and I was like, this isn't me. Mm-mm. And through sobriety, I learned that because it's like, no, I'm the farm kid in ripped up jeans. And like, I complimented you when we weren't on air. I was like, mm-hmm. I want your hoodie. And I like, right? I, like that is who I am. It's like, I'd rather be in a hoodie huh? and ripped up jeans and Converse or cowboy boots more than I would ever want to be in. Like you just said Prada or mm-hmm. anything like that. Cause it's not, we well, and this is something like living out there when I was that that life, my old life, mm-hmm. or the old Christopher, at home. Yes, but at never home. in public. But no, yeah, no, no, no. You know, and that's part of it was the career, mm-hmm. um, being on point. You know, and even now, you know, being in the career that we're in now. I mean, there's times that you know you put on the name tag, or it's like you know the minute you go out wearing you know as Greg would call them snudgy pants, yeah, which is just your you know. You know, around the house pants, you're going to run into somebody. Yeah. But then, you, you know, every once I have to remind myself, it's like, you got to be real. You just got to be do. who you are and who you're comfortable being. And, and you know, know so, your boundaries. Oh, yeah. Know your boundaries. Like, be real and be authentic, but know your limitations. Like, if there's an event that is going to cause some feelings, mm-hmm. don't go to that event. If there's someone that you cross paths with at the grocery store that brings up some, hey, moments Mm -hmm. it's like turn around and go the other way yeah like it's learning how to live each day with those triggers Mm -hmm. yep it it it, it's very interesting because you know when i think about you know where where i am now in life and what is important and what used to be important are vastly vastly different Mm -hmm. you know there was this saying i may not have everything i want but i have everything i need yep you know, and it's so true. And every once in a while, and Greg and, we'll ha- Greg and I will have those conversations. It's like, I, w- I want that. It's like, well, do we need it? Mm-hmm. You know, what do we need? Wh- what do we have right now? We have two dogs that, you know, worship the ground that we live on. We have a roof. We live in a fantastic community mm-hmm. and we have a great life together. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, that's, that's what's important to me right now. And, yep. and the love and the support that we have for each other and the love and support that we get from the community. Yep. Could care less about the Beamer. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I like one, but it's not important. Right. You know, it's yeah. like, I mean, th- thank you for saying that because we have this little beat up pickup truck that we'll drive around town. And go, doo, 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 doo. I wouldn't have been caught dead in that 10 years ago. Yep. I love Never. that. I love and it's that. like, because it was the bands, it was the image. It was, you had mm-hmm. to be. And I, looking back and then through the therapy, it's like, what were you doing that for? You know, and who were you doing that? For? Who and you're doing that for and having a little bit of self-loathing without even knowing that you're having that. Absolutely. Because you'd be mad or you'd be angry. It's like, oh, she wants me to come in and do her hair. It's like, well, I'm going to charge her a thousand dollars and then I'm going to go home and drink and I'm fabulous. Yeah. I mean, it's just all yep. these weird things that, you know, yep. as you go on your journey in recovery and you come to, being okay in your own skin and that you are enough and you mm-hmm. will always be enough. That's all that matters. I mean, if, if your mom doesn't like you, that's okay. If your friends don't like you anymore, that's okay. Do you like you? Do you like where you're at? If you are happy, but others around you are upset mm-hmm. because of your actions, that's not a you thing. That's a them thing. No, no. Yeah. And I have, and have some of those issues now with, with family members. Right. You know, of where we're at. Anyways. 
Go ahead. Speaking of. <laughs> I want to ask you guys a question. Um, as people are hearing this, today mm-hmm. is January 1st. There are a lot of people, I'm just guessing, because it happens every year on January 1st, mm-hmm. who are saying, today, I am done drinking. Today, I am done with my whatever. The New Year's resolution stuff. Yeah, 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 today. They all mean it, right? They're not all going to make it, but they all mean it today. Yep. What do you, t- what would you, I, both of you, what would you guys say to someone who said, I am done drinking today? I'm glad that you brought that up, Rich, because this is going back to when I lived in Minneapolis and would have that. Somebody said, I'm done drinking today. And I, but worked for me. And I'd say, this is what worked for me. It's like, just stop today. Don't, don't worry about tomorrow. Yeah. Just for today. And if you can make it through today and you can be supportive or you can be around people that are supporting you, whatever that may be, if it's AA, NA, CMA, whatever the case may be, therapy, mm-hmm. just do it today and see what happens tomorrow. Because if you put, I'm done, it's kind of like people joining the gym. Everybody's going to go to the gym, and in February, there's not a soul in the gym. Yeah. And then they go through this, I spent all this money, X, Y, Z. So that's my advice. January 1st, just don't drink for January 1st. See what happens on January 2nd. And then January 2nd comes like, hmm, I feel okay. I'll just stay sober, clean, whatever the case may be today. And I to bounce off that, I think if I'm going to... S- go with that. I also want to say you're going to mess up. You're going to have a hiccup. Beat yourself up for a minute, but then realize we're going to start tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And tomorrow is that I'm going to stop today and today's the day. Mm-hmm. And then you go on and start that cycle over. And mm-hmm. I know sometimes it gets to that deja vu moment. Cause I had that when I started sobriety where it was like, what day is it? I feel like I'm in like, you know, Alice in Wonderland. I just keep circling mm-hmm. and circling mm-hmm. But ultimately, there will come a point when you work with your sobriety that you finally are just like, okay, I think, I think it's clicking. I yeah. think it's clicking, yeah. and it and it's and it's just one day at a time. Yep, it's one day at a time. And if your day is New Year's Day, more power to you, and I hope you can make it. Well, and to, and to remember, there are people out there that have been through it, so you're not alone. No, in that. On what you were just saying too, there was a somebody I can't remember who it was that said to me once because when I was messing up, not messing up, but when I kept relapsing, I kept relapsing, and then you know my last treatment, they said, "Hey, you know you're driving down the road of sobriety. Mm-hmm. You you go off into the ditch. What are you going to do? Are you going to stay in the ditch? Or are you going to fix whatever got you in the ditch? Are you going to flat tire? Just change the tire, get out of the ditch, and just get back onto the road. Yeah. You're never going to lose what you had because you're already five feet." From where you started, you know, because yeah. people always say, "Oh, I relapse. I'm starting over." It's like, how how long have you been re sober, clean, whatever you, whatever your terminology is? Well, I had six months. You had six months. That's a huge. You, st- you still have six months. Nobody can take that away from you. Nope. So just get back on the road. Do what you need to do. Get the help. I'm here yeah. to help. It's just like. <laughs> This is a drag queen using a sports reference. You're welcome, folks. <laughs> um, it's just like football. I mean, you catch the ball, you fumble. Okay, what are you going to do? Just let it there and let the other team get it? No, you're going to pick it up and you're going to start running. Like, mm-hmm. And you're going to get the first down, the second down. Like, You're going to have those hurdles just like a sporting event. I can't believe I'm using sports on this show right now. <laughs> and I don't watch sports. But right. my high school football kid is coming out right now. <laughs> um, but 
You do. You have to pick it up and you have to keep mm-hmm. trying to get to that touchdown. Yeah. And, you know, and again, within recovering, everybody, everybody's recovery is different. There was one of those things that, you know, you think of you're, you're in a pack, you're in your support group, whatever that support group may be. And then you kind of wander outside that pack. You know, yeah. If you get, if you leave your tribe, whatever that tribe may be, there's a strong chance that you're going to get knocked off. Yep. You know, and not, the knockoff point to me was vodka. So I always stayed with my tribe. But also there's another counteract that I'm going to say to that is you might be in a toxic tribe and you need a new tribe. Oh, yeah. Oh, for there's sure. There's that side, too, because yeah. that's what I needed. I needed a new group to go to because the ones that I was with were the ones that would yeah. be going to the bars with me and yeah. like, oh, have another two for one. It's fine. It's only one thirty in the morning. Yeah. No, I need to go home. But well, I think two when you're talking about the tribe and that's one thing where I was very blessed moving to Minnesota. I didn't have any of those old haunts. Mm-hmm. I didn't have where I used to go and buy, you know, the vodka or the wine. I didn't have where I used to hang out. That's what Northfield is for me. It's brand new. <laughs> well, you know, and that's one thing that it. people are getting into recovery. It's like, try get out of your, your using environment, get out of those environments. If yep. you can, if you can. Yeah. Um, yep. yep. I agree. So it's, it's, it's a journey, but now going back to California, we've been back twice together. And there has been, you know, I've seen people out there that they've given me a look like, don't even come near me. And it's just that, that, just that in my stomach, one, that gut, just that awful, what did I do? And you have no idea. And I'm going to have to live the rest of my life not knowing. Um, And then seeing the places that I used to hang out at and seeing where I used to get liquor and just having that achy feeling. Mm -hmm. But then it's like, here you are, you're, you're visiting. You know, you're with your, you know, your significant other and it's like, we'll get through this. You'll be okay. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. And now it's time for Letters with Moxie. Ah, yes. Okay. Here we are. Dear Moxie, I have watched you for years. Over the years, I have struggled with substance abuse. Some days I feel like I got this, but then others I crash hard. With a new kid, I want to be the best parent I can be. My spouse is very supportive, but I struggle internally a lot when, uh, when family issues, work, and overall life start weighing me down. Do you have any tips or tricks to help me? Love always. Mama needs a snack. All right. <laughs> dear Mama needs a snack. Yeah, dear Mama needs a snack. Um. <laughs> Well, I think we kind of touched base on that, don't you think, Chris, yeah, a little bit? Like, yeah. Um, it's just taking that one day at a time mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. the biggest thing that I would say for her. Um, and the family issues thing, I think, hits home for me a lot because I have I have a very close family and I have a very loving mom, except in, um, you know, our worlds are very different. I mean they're never going to understand what it's like to be gay. They're never going to understand what it's like to be in a same sex relationship in rural Minnesota. Mm -hmm. But I will say as far as family issues go, it's having those open conversations with Mm -hmm. them and being more candid about the internal struggles, I guess is what I would say. Mm -hmm. Do you have any? Well, I mean, for me it was, you know, when I would have that, a good day, bad day, good day, bad day, good day, bad day. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I went to outpatient, you know, to be, so I could be around people that were having the same struggles as I was. Mm-hmm. 
that I could relate to or they could relate to my story. Um, that's what helped me. Was it successful every single time? No. But I'm here I am now, you know, and I, I would like to think, well, I shouldn't say I'd like to think I know that that was part. It helped. Um, but again, like you and I, our, our, our journeys are different. My family, they're not, you know, other than my dad, like I'd shared earlier, are not big drinkers. Um, and there was a lot of family stuff that when I got into sobriety, I would not participate in. Mm-hmm. I just, I would make up excuses, which is also not a good thing to, in recovery, to not be, you know, honest. Just own up to it. Yeah. Right, you know, because I, sometimes there was family that was just toxic. I couldn't be around my family. Um, did that answer it all? Yeah. Let me ask you this. Yes. Um, yeah. Because you did, you, you brought up your dad, mm-hmm. who was an addict, mm-hmm. and she's talking about being a parent. Mm-hmm. As the the child of an addict, mm-hmm. what would you have liked to have seen happen for your dad, as 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 your dad's son? Ooh, yeah. Thank you. That's that's a big one. He had gone through uh, multiple treatments, and it's it. I had one after he had passed. I had you know my mother had given me a jewelry box, and not because I needed it as some kind of momentum of my my father. Um, but in that box was a seven year chip, you know, from AA. And I went, I don't remember him ever being sober for seven years. So there's a lot, of, you know, as a kid, there was a lot of stuff that I don't remember. I mean, there's a lot like of questions, a lot of questions. I mean, you know, through therapy, there's parts, you know, chunks of your childhood that I don't remember because there was mm-hmm. so much trauma mm-hmm. going on because yep. of my dad's addiction. As a child, you know, I, I wished, you know, because I knew even at a very young age, I knew that there was a problem, you know, the smell of peppermint schnapps or the the gum in the mouth mm-hmm. or the bloodshot eyes or the slurring. And I just, I'd be so scared because I was a kid mm-hmm. and you just, you want your parent to, to be okay, yep. you know, and when you have all that in the background of everybody else, mom and, you know, other people screaming and this and that because of this addiction Mm -hmm. you don't understand it as a kid you just want dad to be good Mm -hmm. you want dad to be home you want you don't look at the end of the uh that dirt road wondering if he's coming home that night you know so from absolutely from a child standpoint um you just want them to be happy and you want them to be okay and you want you want to be loved right you know because i will say also to uh, the love part where you hit the nail on the head Mm -hmm. i want my family to love themselves mm-hmm. and not lie mm-hmm. or spin a story. Mm-hmm. Just be honest with your children mm-hmm. and be honest with your struggles. Like if you're struggling just to get out of bed one day, just say, honey, I'm sorry. Like don't tr- force yourself. Just you need to be true and authentic. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. when it comes to not only your kids, but your spouse and your relationships. Mm-hmm. And if you're struggling with an addiction like this mom is talking about, I think the more you talk externally, not just internally, Mm because I mean, we all internalize a lot Mm -hmm. of things. Mm -hmm. I think when you talk about it externally, there'll be some clarity and probably you'll realize just like what you did with your dad, like, oh, when did that happen? Mm -hmm. Or you're going to have some relation with Mm -hmm. somebody else because they're on that same struggle. Mm -hmm. And it's some... I don't want to call it trauma bonding, but in a way you're bonding because mm-hmm. of the same struggle and you guys can be there to support each other. Mm-hmm. So to find 
those types of people and those conversations, I think, mm-hmm. help a huge amount. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, you know, when I went to visit my dad in the hospital when he was dying, and I was, of course, the first person there, and that was not planned, and I did not want to be the first person there when <laughs> yeah, everybody yeah. called. You want to be the last. Yeah. yeah, it's like, Dad's, you know, it's not, it's, it's happening. Yeah. And he was having uh, problems breathing and had all of these medical issues that were stemmed from, you know, the years of, of alcoholism. And he looked at me, and I said, how are you doing? He goes, I'm dying. And then he looked at me, and he goes, I'm sorry. Wow. Yeah. That's a heavy couple of statements. Oh, yeah. It? And it's like what do you do with that? But I knew exactly what he meant. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just here. I am watching, you know, this happening to him and just rage, just rage going through me. But I'm like, I can relate to that. That's, so well. that was, that was huge for that man. Yeah. Cause I knew exactly what he was talking and about. where it was coming from. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that, that moment, you know, he died an hour later. I forgave him. Wow. That's amazing. So, yeah. That's an amazing story. So it's, you know, when it, for a person, you know, for their kids, whatever, you know, Moxie and I have talked about this before, and I don't mean to be, say whatever, like I mean flipping about it. Mm. Um, you, you, you choose the path of recovery, whatever that path may be, but you do it for you. You can't do it for your kids. You can't do it for your wife. You can't do it for your husband. You can't do it for your coworker. You can't do it for your boss. Because if you try to do it for somebody else, it will, my opinion, I could, you know, I've been wrong before once or twice. Greg will, maybe twice, maybe twice. (laughs) He's got his toes going too, I know. Um, But you can't do mm, it for them. No, you have to be for it's a It's a selfish program. It's a selfish thing. And people Mm -hmm. say that is so selfish. It's like. I can't be here for you. I can't be here for my kids. I can't be here for husband, wife, friends, whatever. If I can't, I got to do this for me because if I do it for me and then I can be there for you. The example I've always heard is the, the you're in the airplane and the oxygen mask drops and you got to put your own mask on first before you can put your right. Exactly. Exactly. And when you say, um, selfish, you know, I have heard that actually yeah. people have said that to me Yeah, and to that I say it's not selfish when I want to live. Uh-huh. It's me wanting to have a better life and me wanting to feel alive again. Mm-hmm. So if sobriety is what makes it selfish, I'm going for it because that's what's going to keep me here. Mm-hmm. I used to be so offended when people would say that to me in early recovery. Oh, you're just being so selfish. You're being so you're just thinking about yourself. And I would take it personally and I would push back. And now I'm like, that's your, okay. Mm-hmm. All right. If that's how you feel, mm-hmm. your, your, your feelings are valid. I, your opinion is your opinion. Mm-hmm. And I know it works for me. And yeah, yeah. So I got to take, totally. yeah. Now okay. I need a snack after that. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Letter number two, and actually we've just touched on all this too, but it's worth talking about anyway. Dear Moxie, I've been sober almost three years. I recently, yes, congratulations. Dang, that's Absolutely. a huge congratulations. Yes. I've recently been working on myself since becoming sober. Uh, therapy and setting boundaries can be challenging, but it has been something that I have needed. I have, I have a lot of family that are heavy drinkers. How do you handle being around people when they're drinkers? I've been short uh, and standoffish towards people who drink heavily. 
How do you balance performing in bars and, and such places with substances around? Along with, how do you stay positive in these situations with intoxicated people around you? Sincerely, the flask is empty. That's that's a loaded one. Um, that's a very loaded one. I, when it comes to people that are you know heavy drinkers, I personally I just I'm not around them, mm-hmm. I, and it's not because I'm scared of my own sobriety. Setting that boundary. Like, Setting that I'm, boundary. I'm not going to be around you people. Yeah. Yep. And I think too is you can you know if somebody invites you and just say no mm-hmm. i'm not going to be there and you don't it's not need, that you don't love them or you don't right. want to spend time with them it's just i don't want to be around you while you're drinking yep. mm-hmm. and i've had people where they say no and then they apologize and you know saying no does not require an apology mm-hmm. you're just saying no you know in the american culture it's like it's just so rude to say no without an explanation why right. you're saying no hey can you come to this party no I mean, sorry, no, depending on the situation, but if you know that you're going to be going into an environment where it could put your own sobriety at jeopardy Mm -hmm. because it's a very slippery slope. It is. You know, I mean, we we kind of touched base on that, like uh, how you still work in restaurants, you mm -hmm. know, and you're bartending. I mean, Mm -hmm. to stand next to all that liquor and all the beer and everything, I mean, that takes a lot of strength in many aspects, Mm -hmm. but in a way you enjoy it. And it's fun. It's fun. It's fun, and I, and now I'll, I'll get the whiff of the, the peppermint schnapps. <laughs> the peppermint schnapps, oh, this and that, yeah. and it literally still ten years later kind of makes my stomach turn. Mm-hmm. Or then I'll get really judgy, judgy. It's like, oh my gosh, I didn't know that. <laughs> I didn't know that bush light was a thing until I moved back to Minnesota. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, well, and it's funny you say the whiff of it because through my sobriety, there have been I think am I up to two or three times? Two or three times. Where we were at restaurants and Ryan has, um, Mr. Moxie has had a cocktail in front of him and I can smell it. And I'm like, I'm just, I, I want to just try. So I'll take like, you know how you do the straw and you Mm -hmm. put your finger on top of the straw and then you pull it and you take like a little sip. I have done it three times in my sobriety and I about vomit Mm -hmm. every time. Yeah. And I'm like, this goes to show you what the problem was like. And now I don't do that, but that was like that first year. Mm-hmm. of sobriety that I did that and it kind of goes back to that whole roller coaster or the ups and downs with sobriety yeah. and those were my kind of like okay I think I got a handle on it let's just I'm going to just try nope yeah. it doesn't work Um, well but three years is a huge accomplishment oh, it's huge that's awesome it's so. huge it's like you know going around um, you know people that I mean, I can't speak for you. I would just say for myself, if it's going to be one of the situations where there's going to be a lot, a lot of heavy drinkers, I'm not going to, I'm not going to participate in it because you're, you're not drinking and they're drinking. So that right there is going to be an issue um, because they're going to want you to drink um, or they might get combative or argumentative or repetitive. Speaking of that, have you had people at the bar try to buy you drinks while you've been serving them? No, because I'm pretty open about it. You okay. know, people ask me questions like, I have no idea. I don't drink. Um, well, and the if the only reason why I ask is because as a drag performer, mm-hmm. when I go into bars, oh, sure. people try to buy drinks oh, yeah, for yeah. performers all the time. Yeah, they're right. like, they're like, oh, go get this to Maxi or go get yeah. this to Lexi. Like they try to buy the friendship. Yeah. And being a bartender, you are. And they have in the beginning, but I'm very, very candid about, you know, being, you know, I don't drink. And if somebody asks, oh, you don't? Why? And it's like, nah, you know, I'm I'm allergic to it. I'll end up, you know, I'll wake up with handcuffs on. Um, Do you you not want to tell people that you're in recovery? Oh, no, I have no problem talking about it at all. You know, 
and it's interesting because when you talk about it, people ask you questions and I'll see how they change and how they get kind of like a little self-conscious about. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, and I, I'll say, it's like, I can't drink. That doesn't mean that you guys can't get effed up here. Right. Pardon my language. Mm-hmm. You're in a bar. You're having a good right. time. You know, I'm not here to rain on your parade now, but with this woman too, that slippery slope thing that happened to me when I first started bartending, there's a, a good customer there, really like the, the gentleman. And he ordered his regular drink. I knew what he drank. I made it, blah, blah, blah. And I had my water sitting over here, da, 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 da. He went to grab his glass. It was empty. And I set it down, and I was making him a new one. And I picked it up, and I took a sip off of it, thinking it was my water. Ooh. And it was a little leftover vodka and Sprite. Freaked me out. Ooh. Freaked me out. And that was because I won't taste. I, yep. it's, that, that's just me. Yep. Um, I don't anymore, but yeah, I, I rinsed my mouth out and I was in this whole, I had this panic going through my head and I finally went, Oh my gosh, calm down, Chris. Mm -hmm. You took a sip of somebody's watered down vodka. You spit it out. It's not like you turned around and just downed a fifth. It's not a low ball of bourbon, you know, but it was this thing going, okay, you know what? That could be really dangerous. If I went into a situation, Mm -hmm. a big party, put my drink down. And thought it was my 7-Up and picked it up and took a big old swig. It's funny you say that because that's why I literally travel with this. Because, like, it, you've seen me at the brewery. Mm-hmm. I have this bedazzled yep. cup. And it, the reason why is because of that reason. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. if I drink out of a regular cup and if I'm hosting and I set it down somewhere and I come back, I might grab, I might not grab the non-alcoholic. I might mm-hmm. accidentally grab mm-hmm. the other one. Mm-hmm. So now it's like I just travel with this and this is what I drink out of. And... People are like, oh, it's so sparkly. You just want to be fancy. And it's like, well, yes, I do. But at the <laughs> but same I also time, wanna... I also want to protect myself because yeah. I don't want to have those moments yeah. of, like, yeah. I just messed up yeah. royally. Yeah. yeah. Well, I didn't even start. I mean, because I'm a you know, self-proclaimed home chef. I had gone yep. through a culinary school. And, and even then, it's like, well, some of the recipes called for alcohol. And I was very, very candid with the, the chef professor. And I didn't even start cooking with alcohol until well, I met Greg. And the only reason I started doing that is because his mother brought over a box of wine. I'm like, well, what are we going to do with this? I mean, we have parties, so it's down there, but I wouldn't serve that. Bless her heart. I wouldn't serve that wine to anybody. But With a franzia. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> but it's great bag. to cook. Slap it's a bag. great to cook with. But I still, it's yeah. like I made us a pasta dinner the other night, and I go to you know burn off the alcohol to make the, the sauce for the, the pasta. And I still go, it just makes my stomach turn. And I'm like, mm-hmm. and inside I'm like, that's a good thing. That's a yeah. good thing. Because it, it is a good thing. It doesn't make yeah. me like, oh, I want that. It's like, oh. Yep. Uh, Yesterday when I was bartending this Christmas party, I smelled the vodka because I was pouring Bloody Marys mm-hmm. and stuff and mimosas. And at one point, some of the vodka I could really smell. And I was like, oh, oh that, nope. Mm-mm. And remember when you thought that vodka didn't have a smell? Yeah. <laughs> I, I was just determined. No, vodka doesn't have a smell. And now, when somebody drinks vodka, you're like, "Oh yeah, it does." Anyway. Yes. Oh, so. so okay, true. I have a I have a third letter. Dear Moxie, I have a friend who is sober. I am not. A couple of months ago, I uh, got a hold of this person because I needed to talk to them about something, and we went to a uh, a local establishment, and I remembered as we were sitting down that they are sober, and I looked at them and I said, "Do you mind if I have a drink?" And this person said to me, of course not. But the question is, is that condescending? Is that, am I, is that considerate? Where, 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 where does that fall on the continuum? I think that if a person's comfortable in their own 
recovery, their own sobriety, it really shouldn't matter. I mean, I've had people ask me, do you mind? And I'm like, I, no. But, and there's also part of me, like, you don't really need to, mm-hmm. you don't need to ask me. Um, I've had family and we've gone, does it bug you? And it's like, mm-mm. You know, because I, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's condescending. I don't think so. Uh, no, not at all. I think, I think time-wise it would. Um, for someone who, going back to January 1st, I'm quitting today and you're going mm-hmm. out that night and someone is uh, like, I'm going to have a drink. Are you okay with that? It's like, as a personal, just me telling, and maybe this is just me, I would be like, you know, I prefer us not to. Could we go to coffee? Mm-hmm. Or could we do something? Like, I think it depends on the journey. And mm-hmm. again, everybody's journey is different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I definitely think um, once you're comfortable enough, because I think back when I started sobriety, we didn't go to bars and restaurants very often. Mm-hmm. We went to brunch a lot. Yeah. Because it was easier. You mm-hmm. have coffee. You For sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But we didn't go to a lot of restaurants that first six to eight months of sobriety for us because I knew going to a lowly dim pl- place and bar and where the booze is flowing and you can smell it. Yeah. Like you just talked about. Yeah. It's definitely triggering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it's a respectful thing too. I mean, it's not condescending. Um, I'll always welcome the question. I will say, Oh that. yeah, absolutely. Like if you feel like you want to ask that question, that's totally fine. Yeah. I won't ever get offended. by No, it. no. But, I think what to me is when I've met people and say, I, I'm, you know, I don't drink, so I don't want you anybody else to drink. Mm-hmm. Now that I think is a little much because you can't control their life. You can't control their life. Mm-hmm. And, but if they're respectful and say, Hey, I'm going to have a drink. Well, are you okay with that? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and if, if they're in a program where they're being honest, they'll say, oh, I really, like you said, let's just go have a cup of coffee. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, what you were saying of going to the brunches and doing mm-hmm. X that in the beginning and not going out at night to the dinner, the dimly lit, because yeah. you do, you go out for a nice dinner and, and you're like, man, this, this steak would be fabulous with a nice glass of Merlot. Yeah. I mean, and now I, we chuckle when Greg and I do go out to dinner. Cause the, I remember the first time I went out to like a real dinner, mm-hmm. um, at night mm-hmm. and you get the bill and you're like, so, so cheap. Fast. It's so cheap. <laughs> that is so true. I'm like, it's like, because there's a lot of times my oh barbell would be more than my food. Yes. Oh, that was constant. That was constant. <laughs> but it's funny you say that because that literally has happened to us so many times where I'm just like, I look at the bill and I'm like, do you want dessert? Because we can afford it. <laughs> right? <laughs> but you're absolutely right because there's times like we just went out to um, Porterhouse in Lakeville. Yeah, yeah. And like Love we're having steak and we're doing this and here I am sipping on a Sprite and I normally don't drink soda, but mm-hmm. because like I'm out, I have to have some sort of carbonation rather mm-hmm. than just water. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I'll do like a Sprite and it's like, you're absolutely right. You're like, this would be amazing with a Cabernet or it would be also, this is something from a restaurant standpoint as someone who worked in the field now being sober, watching how many people suggestive sell oh, yeah. stuff to you as a sober person. I'm like, wow. <laughs> like, I never picked up on that mm-hmm. until recently, like in the last like two years or so. I'm like, I literally am here for two o'clock brunch or whatever, and you're suggestive selling me a bottle of wine. Like, no. mm-hmm. well, and there them. are so many great mocktails, <laughs> and there's awesome. so many opportunities for even like, you know, our, our little hamlet of Northfield. Mm-hmm. I mean, all of these great establishments that are starting to offer mocktails. And just because you have a mocktail, uh, menu doesn't mean that a person might may or may not have an, an alcohol problem. Yes. I have a brother. He goes, I don't like to drink. 
Yeah. And he goes, I just don't. Yeah. And I don't, you know. My brother his, doesn't drink much either. So, yeah, so same it's concept. Like, yeah. I mean, you can go out and have, you know, uh, virgin, well, Greg and I will do it. We go to the Grand. We love that place. And, yeah, we, yeah. you know, every once in a while we're feeling fancy and we get a Virgin Bloody Mary. Yep. No. Well, I mean, even, you know, Imminent Brewing, they have, like, their shrub, they have the non-alcoholic mm-hmm. um, drink, and then you have the Grand, you have Reunion, they'll make specialty mm-hmm. cocktails for me, mm-hmm. too, and mm-hmm. it's just, it's nice to feel like I can still go mm-hmm. without being pressured to drink mojitos and yeah. margaritas and everything else. So. Right. And I think in the general public, too, they expect you to have something in your hand, and you say to friends like you're going to a Christmas party you're going to a Christmas cocktail party as the host will only care if you have something in your hand they're not going to ask you what is in that right. glass yeah. it's right. a cocktail glass it's bubbly there you go it's funny you say that because I so one of my really 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 close friends she's basically a sister um, Kai she's amazing anyways I was so nervous for yesterday's bartending that she actually said that to me she's like get an empty glass and no one will ever question you yeah yeah and I was like, I, I never thought of that. Mm-hmm. And she's in the food industry too. But when she said that to me, I was like, you're absolutely right. No one's ever going to question if you have, like, like I said, I walk around with this. People see me drinking out of this. They don't know what's in it and right. they don't ask. Right. I'm a bartender. Yep. I've been a bartender for 15 years. It is part of my job to, when you are sitting with an empty glass at the bar in front of mm-hmm. you, it's part of my job to ask you if you want another beer. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. But if you have... A glass of water or something, even if it's you know that much water in it, I will never ask. Yeah. I, I mean, I will. I will never. You've got something. That's fine. Also, bartending for fifteen years, I don't drink anywhere near as much as I used to because I've seen. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you see. Well, you you oh, guys. Yeah. Yep, I mean, yeah. You see the see aftermath it. of it all. Yeah, you yeah. do. Mm-hmm. So anyway. Well, thank you, Chris, for no. Thank out. you for having me. Yes, and to those that wrote in, thank you for talking about it and those that are on their sobriety journey congratulations oh yes especially empty flask i mean three years years that's amazing yes and just never give up never never never, ever give up you know it's how you're worth it yes one day at a time however that journey may be but greg thanks for being moral support back there you, Greg, you were fantastic today. You, did exactly you would never know you there's a fourth person in the studio today. <laughs> so, but, but the, the the faces, the eye contact, the Greg, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. it's been a good it's been a good show. Yeah. That's awesome. Right. But thank you again for thank coming you. I'm really you know I'm, I appreciate that you're asking me. Yeah, it, it, this is a topic that I think a lot of people need to talk, mm-hmm. hear and talk about, especially in our world nowadays. Well, and it's not it, it it's not a taboo subject. No. you know it really isn't. You know and being, you know, I'm. I think that being an alcoholic and somebody, some people may think this is just the the most backward thing to say. I'm a grateful alcoholic. I'm grateful that I became an alcoholic <clears throat> because now I know who I am. Amen. Right. And on that note, that's our show for sobriety because that is like <laughs> pinnacle. Truth right there. I learned who I was from sobriety. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. So thank right. you. Hey, Mox, before we go, you got to tell us about your uh, your event that uh, tickets are on sale for today. They should be starting today. So this is something that has been in the works for quite some time. Yeah. Um, it is a full day full of events, but it's two parts. So the morning is the day is called Moxie Gras. We're Moxie calling Gras. it. We're calling it Moxie Gras. Okay. It's at the Grand Event Center, uh, February seventeenth. 
to Saturday. We have two parts. The morning is actually a drag brunch with a wonderful cast who you've all, if you've been listening to Out in the Open, can <laughs> see Izzy and Lexi perform awesome. along with other family members from my drag family coming down as well. So that's the morning. And then the evening we reset and at 7 p.m. we open the doors and it is a queer and ally night out of dancing, drag numbers, games, socializing, just a safe place to be surrounded by people that love and accept you. So that sounds pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So February 17th, that is our next big event. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, tickets are on sale. Do we know how much tickets, where, where do I get tickets? How much are tickets? Tickets will be on Eventbrite. Um, and I want to say we decided it was going to be 20 bucks for the brunch or, and 20 bucks for the dance night out. But we are doing this promo where if you buy and come to both, you get a little bit of a discount. Oh, good. So right. it's $30 if you're going to go to both. Um, awesome. All that will be on Eventbrite. And if you have further questions, you can talk contact the Grand Event Center and talk to them and they can fill you in on what is all happening. So if I go to eventbrite.com and plug in Moxie Gras, yep. M-O-X-I-E, is there a space? M-O-X-I-E, M-O-X-I-E dash Gras. So G-R-A-S. Okay, cool. Awesome. Yeah, so that should be on Eventbrite starting today. So January 1st, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Should we roll out with our song? Yeah, tell us a little bit about, uh, first of all, I want to thank Chris also. Yeah. It's the, this has been a really compelling conversation to just sit and listen to, and thank you for, oh, for thank sharing. You. And again, Greg, thank you for, for being the support. <laughs> it's fantastic. Mox, let's talk about Yola. Yola is amazing. Um, she is someone that I just discovered not too long ago. Yola is, she categorizes herself as a non-genre artist. Yeah. She has done country. She's done R&B. She's done pretty much anything and everything. And she doesn't get talked about because... I've seen that woman rock her ass off. Oh, my <laughs> yeah. God. Yeah, she's great. She's amazing. And they don't talk about her enough. Yeah, no one does. No one does. And the song that we chose was uh, Ride All In The Country because mm-hmm. it hits home to when I was sober where I would just go for drives in the country. And... I called it chasing the sun. So what I would do is I'd start out and I just start driving and I would literally turn whichever way the sun was. Mm. So I just follow the sun. I just chase the sun. Awesome. And like I said, I would be gone for 20 minutes. I could be gone for six hours. There was a time where I ended up in Winona. There was a time where I ended up in the middle of Wisconsin and I turned around, I head home and you know, I just shut my phone off and I just, you just drive. Yeah. So another thing about Yola is she is not afraid to stand up for the underdog and stand mm. up for people to be seen. Um, she is LGBT friendly. She's, yeah, she just, she's breaking barriers. Yeah. And that's what we need in our world right now is someone who can break these barriers and really hone in on their talent and spread their talent. Amen, sister. Absolutely. So, thank you for tuning into Out in the Open. <laughs> Folks, Mox will be back again next month, first Monday of the month with Out in the Open with Mrs. Moxie. Talk to you guys again next week. Next week? Next week. (laughs) I don't know. If you listen to KYMN, I'll probably talk to you tomorrow. Yeah. (laughs) XOXO, Mrs. M. Some wind in my head, let it all.
Take a 